it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. Subscribe now for access to, well, everything, including all my writing about tennis over the Australian Open the next 15 days. This is day one of our uh, Aussie Open coverage where we'll be trying to do daily podcasts from here in Melbourne. Sometimes it'll be me and George, who is back in London. Sometimes it'll be me and Calvin, who's out here in Australia. And sometimes, as it is today, it will just be me. But there's loads to talk about and talk you through some of what happened uh, on day one at the Australian Open. So I hope that I will be more than enough to keep you company over the next 10 or 15 minutes. It was a historic day at Melbourne Park, or at least they told us it was, because it was the first ever Sunday start to an Australian Open, which now stretches, well, if you include opening week, which is a great series of events, but the Australian Open is now a really mammoth uh, event of basically three weeks. But in terms of competitive competition play, it is 15 days now. The Sunday start was, Craig Tiley told us, designed to help deal with the late finishes um, that so played last year's tournament. Andy Murray, of course, finishing against Tanasi Kokonakis at five minutes past four which was as much his fault as it was anyone else's. The match took six hours, but in fairness, they didn't get on court until 10pm. So um, there has been an effort to try and deal with that. Now, Sunday night, matches did not finish until after midnight on two different courts. Uh, Novak Djokovic didn't come into press until midnight exactly, which meant that we didn't finish work until back of one o'clock in the morning. Uh, It's all very well saying that something is going to solve a problem. But there's no demonstrable reason why it should. They have reduced the day sessions on the show courts to two matches, which means it's less likely that the day session overruns and means the night session starts later and therefore is more likely to go later. But actually, that didn't work because Andre Rublev and Thiago Sebosfield went five sets. And so the, uh, <laughs> the night session on, I think it was Margaret Court, did start late. And it sure as hell finished late. So I think it's a bit of a fallacy that this extra day, you know, they've listened to the players and the fans, says Craig Tiley. They've listened to the accountant. (laughs) They sold 80,000 tickets yesterday. And 
that is just money they weren't making before. So it makes perfect sense that they would do that. Now, I am broadly in favour of the Sunday start because I think the more days you can have of tennis where you know people don't have to take the day off work or um, you know take a day's annual leave or whatever it happens to be, I think that's great for accessibility. People often don't have that kind of flexibility. Yes, some people work Sundays, but hopefully they maybe have time during the week when they could go. So from an accessibility standpoint, I think it's a good thing and I would really like to see more tournaments do it from that standpoint. But just say that, you know, it's a good PR line as well to say, look, we want to open tennis up as much as possible. Lots of people can't take time off during the week. We want to do more tennis at the weekends. But to say, kind of stand up there and pretend that it's because they've listened to fans and players and they want to deal with late starts when A, it's not true and B, it won't work. I think it, well, it's disingenuous. Obviously, it's disingenuous. That That's what it means. But yeah, it's just... It's frustrating, isn't it? I don't think they need to be lying to us about it. They can just tell it like it is. Uh, if that's not something we can tell people to do on Tennis Unfiltered, then I don't know what we can tell people to do. Anyway, it's up to them. They're going to make an absolutely enormous amount of money as usual. And like I said, they had 80,000 people through the grounds uh, on Sunday. So, <laughs> fair play. I can't, can't argue with that too much, really. Let's talk about the actual tennis, shall we? Uh, the star of the day was surely Novak Djokovic and, to a similar extent, Dino Prismic in the opening match of the first Rod Laver night session. Uh, Yannick Sinner had earlier beaten Botic van der Zandschulp in um, fairly straightforward fashion. He was actually down a break in the... Um, in the second set, but he, he fought back and, and got that done in three sets. Maria Sakkari also, uh, and we don't say this very often, getting a very efficient first-round win, 71 minutes to beat now Habino 4-1. and one. But then we had Djokovic and Prismic. Now, for people who listen to the podcast a lot, they will have heard the name Dino Prismic before because Calvin Betton picked him a year ago as his young player to watch for 2024. And I think on the evidence of Sunday night's match, he was right. Dino Prismic looks a real player. He won the Roland Garros uh, title in the juniors last year. Uh, this was his first Grand Slam in the seniors. He came through qualies, he won three matches, and then he gave Novak Djokovic an almighty good go. Um, it, it looked like it was going to be what you'd expect when Djokovic took the first set 6-2, there were some early double faults from Dino Prismic. His legs weren't moving very quickly. He took a medical timeout after just five games to have treatment on what looked like his left groin. But, you know, we, we just thought, well, let's hope this doesn't stop too early. And somehow he dug really, really deep. And Novak did not play well, quite frankly. It was his, by statistics, it was his worst serving performance since the Wimbledon final last summer. Uh, in terms of both first serve percentage and first serve points won. Now, we talk a lot about Novak's serve because it's one of the areas of his game that has really, really improved over the last, well, I'd probably say since elbow surgery, so, you know, six or seven years. And I do remember being here or two years ago when he played TFO, which I think was the first time TFO had had uh, played him and <laughs> I asked him about the serve and he said yeah I was like okay Isner and that is what people maybe who haven't played Djokovic before do tend to find is they come out 
And the thing that really surprises them is his serve, but that, that wasn't something he was able to do on Sunday night. Now, I have had it put to me that, you know, this wrist injury that Novak is playing down, but we know is there, it's been there for years, this kind of chronic problem. Now, I, I asked Calvin, you know, presumably the wrist just affects everything, and he said serve would be a problem. That was He said it does affect everything, but serve is maybe the area it affects the most. And I don't want to speak for him too much because he will do so for himself tomorrow, I'm sure. But I think it's um, I think it's notable that he's had this problem and these are the statistics. Um, you know, serving at under 60% first serve, winning 66% of points behind first serve. It's not, not positive, that, so... Um, uh, one to keep an eye on. Uh, he lost the second set in a tiebreak as well. And remember that last year, at one point, he won 15 Grand Slam tiebreaks in a row. Well, he's now lost his last three, which is pretty remarkable, really, uh, in terms of a turnaround. Although I, I appreciate that three in a row isn't... Uh, and it should be noted that he won two out of those three matches. <laughs> so it's probably not uh, not panic stations yet. But But I think Novak's physical state is definitely worth commenting upon. Uh, not only has he got this wrist problem, which, as I say, the statistics perhaps suggest is more of a problem than he would like to say, he's also pretty ill. He, in press, his pre-press, pre, excuse me, pre-tournament press conference on uh, Saturday, he did sound, he had a big cough, uh, he sounded pretty congested. One of my colleagues suggested, well, is it just the mics making him sound weird? But he came in again after beating Prismich, and I was pretty convinced he was ill, so I asked him as much, and he said, yes, it's been a bit, quote, under the weather the last four or five days. Um, he says, you've just got to try and deal with it and get over it and accept the circumstances and try to make the most of it. And then he went on to praise Dino Prismich, which was clearly what he really wanted to say. Um, I think what's interesting about the illness is Djokovic also commented on having a shorter pre-season this year just because of a late finish. And he was having um, sort of anti-sweat powder, I suppose, stuff you put in your pocket, it's basically sawdust, just to help keep your hand dry. And he had that brought on after five games while Prismich was having his MTO. It wasn't hot yesterday. It was, it was a very pleasant temperature, sort of, I don't know, 23, 24, very mild. I was set, sitting on labour in shorts and T-shirt. But it wasn't hot and it really wasn't humid. Um, so I was quite surprised to see him struggling with sweat. I, that suggests to me one of two things. Either he's not as physically fit aerobically as he would like to be, or he's running a pretty decent fever. One is maybe more significant than the other. You know, if he's, if he's undercooked physically, then that, that might be a, a more long-term concern. If he's just ill, then, you know, that will fade um, albeit as long as he gets through the first maybe three rounds. And, and I suppose that's the thing. Like We're trying to inject a sense of jeopardy because it's 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 amazing when he does it, but it, it might otherwise be quite dull, sort of Djokovic's procession to the, the latter end of the tournament. But I do think there is a little bit of jeopardy there. The question is whether the opponents involved are able to exploit it. He's either going to play Alexi Popperin or Mark Polmans in the second round. You would expect Popperin who has a big game, but he's not going to challenge Djokovic physically. You know, he's not going to play long points and, you know, test his legs that much. <laughs> Depending on who he gets in round three, it's one of Hampfman, Murray, Echeverry and Monfils. 
I suppose if it's Murray, he might push him physically a bit, but probably the gulf between those two, given the relative stages of their career, is pretty big now. Um, Echeverry, maybe. And then, you know, even in the fourth round, the likelihood is it's going to be Ben Shelton. Again, not a guy who's going to play long points against him. Quarterfinal, maybe Stefano Sitspas. That's that's really all you can all you can think in terms of him getting a proper physical challenge. By which point you would hope that with four matches under his belt already, he has attained some level of physical fitness um, that he's more happy with. Anyway, a very unhappy Djokovic. That's the that's the real story from. Well, it's not the real story. It's one of the stories from Sunday night. Uh, he got very annoyed with the crowd. They're now being let in pretty much every game um, at Melbourne Park. I think that's great. I think people should just be able to walk in. Players should just be able to deal with noise. I mean, Jodie Burridge, who was the only Brit in action yesterday, she was out on court 13 and Alcaraz was practicing on 11 next to her. And obviously both courts were mobbed because they didn't put very many matches on on Sunday and there were 80,000 people there. But when Alcaraz finished his practice and everyone's shouting for photos and autographs and all sorts of things, you know, Jodie Burridge is just trying to serve out the first set and it was pretty distracting. Um, but she, she said she, she, you know, she was like, it was noisy, it was busy, but I think she did a half-decent job of um, shutting out the noise. She said she's played on lots of big courts now. Um, just a, a sort of brief note, as I say, she was the only Brit in action. She took the first set with ease, 6-2, um, but then Tamara Korpach disappeared for 10 minutes. Uh, Burridge kind of got the sweat on in the sun, and then when the German came back, she won all bar three games en route to a 2-6-6-3, 6-love victory. Um, Jodie was pretty gutted afterwards, one of the nicest people in British tennis, Jodie Burridge, but she was very, very down, uh, understandably so afterwards. And she said, look, I, I just have to learn to deal with opponents like that. You know, it, it always seems to be something, whether it was her shoes or her rackets. And, you know, Tamara Korpach, she's a street fighter, uh, a real street fighter, and she will do that kind of thing. Um, and... Yeah, I think Jodie's right. That's tennis. You do, you know, you do have to toughen up and learn to deal with it. And she knows that. I'm sure Craig Veal, her coach, who's a friend of the pod, he he knows that. And yeah, she said, "I need a plan B." And you know, the wind got up, and she doesn't like playing in the wind. Doesn't think her game is very good in the wind. And yeah, that's something you need to work on. But I think, and again, this is sort of her words rather than mine. Jodie's a bit of a late bloomer in terms of where she is. She's 24, which in tennis terms is obviously a bit older, especially in the women's game. I mean, you know, Alina Kornieva, 16 into the second round. Um, and she sort of has to scrap her way through that. So I think she'll she'll get there, but it's a question of maybe not, uh, maybe not overnight uh, toughening up. Um, but yeah. Uh, I'd want to move on to Amanda Anasimova. Speaking of toughening up, I don't know if that's necessarily the right phrase, but she's back, I can tell you that much, uh, and she's winning matches, or at least one match, um, because she, after the best part of nine months out, having cited burnout and mental health issues when she left at the end of... Uh, she, Sorry, ended her season uh, in May last year, she is back, and she picked up a pretty handy win over Lyudmila Samsonova. Although, it should be pointed out, Lyudmila Samsonova has now played five matches, singles and doubles this year, and lost all five of them. So, um, But nevertheless, a very handy victory for Amanda Anasimova. Uh, should be noted as well, uh, one late withdrawal from the men's draw. Matteo Berrettini is out with a foot injury, which is obviously... <laughs> It's just yet more tales of woe about Matteo Berrettini, isn't it? I do feel pretty sorry for him. 
uh, overall, and uh, we wish him all the best. Uh, it means that, and, you know, every every door closes, a window opens. Zizou Bergs is the lucky loser, um, who people may remember played Jack Draper at Wimbledon 18 months ago, and uh, I interviewed him, in fact, ahead of that, so I would urge you, I'll put a link in the show notes, I would urge you to go and um, go and give that a read. He's a really nice chap, um, and he's a quite a fun tennis player to watch as well. He's going to play Stefano Sitsipas in the first round. It was, of course, supposed to be one of the matches of the first round against Berrettini, but I actually think Berg's... Uh, ho- hopefully he's recovered from the, the sort of cramping issues that saw him lose in the third round of qualities, and if he has, I think that'll be a pretty fun match to, to watch. A few quick hits from Sunday. Uh, Andre Rublev, as I mentioned, needed five sets to see Otago Sibach-Vilt. Uh, he won it in a deciding tiebreak. <laughs> Uh, 10-6 it was, uh, and he admitted that he mentally gave up on the match halfway through it. Um, he, the on-court interviewer said, you, you know, they're not they're not supporting against you. They just love an underdog, because clearly Vilt was Sebastian Vilt was getting a lot of support on the court. And Rublev being Rublev, he said, no, I get it. Uh, thank you so much for coming out and supporting your players and and you know coming to watch tennis. I thought that was a great a great mindset for him to have. Um, I mentioned Alina Kornieva. She's the junior champion here last year. She beat Mira Andreeva in the final. She's in the main draw this year, having qualified, and she is into the second round as well. She went a set down to Sarah Cerebes Tormo, um, but battled back to win in three, four, six, six, three, six, two. The 16-year-old is into the second round. We don't know who she's going to play yet. Um, I'm just seeing if I can pull up the draw in front of me because for, usually it's the only thing I have in front of me is the draw. Uh, she's either going to play Beatrice Hadamaya, which is a toughie, or Linda Fervitova, which would be an upset if she wins. But Kornieva Fervitova would be a match that you think might be a Grand Slam final one day um, between two teenagers. So um, we'll see how that emerges. And incidentally, the third round opponent for that match is either Caroline Wozniacki, who um, came through after Magalinetti retired in the second set, or Maria Timofeva, who is another Russian. <laughs> She's only 20. Um, it should be pointed out that four Russian women yesterday, and the oldest one is 22, uh, Rakimova. <laughs> so um, the Russians are coming, as one famous poker player once said. Um, any Tony G fans will recognise that uh, particular quote. Uh other quick hits, Jason Kubler uh, played a very entertaining match against Daniel Alahi Galan uh, out on Kira Arena, which is one of the smaller stadium courts here. Went all the way to five sets, uh, and he lost 10-8 in a final set tiebreak. I mean, and he looked inconsolable afterwards, as as you can imagine. It was a, a pretty gutting result. Um, he said, it's a weird emotion. At the same time, I felt like I gave myself the best chance to win. I just didn't execute right in certain moments. But I guess if I'm looking at the big picture, this is my second tournament after coming back from knee surgery and it gives me confidence that I can do five sets. I don't know if it's as well as I want, but I can get through five sets. Um, yeah, Jason Kubler is a really entertaining player to watch, so we wish him the best in terms of getting back to a level where he can keep competing on a regular basis. Uh, and finally, uh, Andre Agassi turned up yesterday. Um, front and centre on Rod Laver, the best seats in the house, just in front of Tim Minchin, the uh, comedian, and uh, a few seats along from Mark Webber, the racing driver, retired racing driver, I should say. Um, slightly concerningly, Andre Agassi's made a, con- a return to public life and decided that Justin Gimmelstob, yes, remember him, uh, is the man to represent him. And so was sat alongside and grinning away. Um, 
anyone who wants to read about Justin Gimelstob can just Google his name and they will find plenty of things to read about him and quite why we don't particularly like him on this podcast or really anywhere on the um, on the tour. So, uh, yeah, I think that's probably everything for our little day one mini pod wrap. Um, we'll be back on day two, of course, with either Calvin or George or um, who knows. It could, could be anyone. I mean, not anyone, but, you know, one of the millions of people in Australia or not. Thanks to the wonder of modern technology. So we've got time for. Please leave us a rating or a review. Um, I would say enter our FTU, Fancy Tens Unfiltered, but you have missed the deadline now. Good luck if you're in it. Um, some really good names so far. I think Banana Republic is my favourite one so far. Um, I mean, I always get a kick out of No One Beats Rita Scarolita 17 times in a row. Um, but uh, Invisible Umpire Chairs, I like that. Um, a little throwback to... One of our podcasts last year when we came up with that particularly good idea. Or maybe someone else did. Anyway, uh, I like that you've been listening. And that's the most important thing. Please do keep listening and come back tomorrow. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.